You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Good morning. Um, I spent most of Maria's hosting think, trying to think of the movie where the guy goes, uh, I'm the captain now, because that's how I feel. Like two weeks in a row on Sunday morning, I'm your pastor now. No, I'm not. I don't want that sort of responsibility. Um, yeah, Samuel, what a cute baby. Can't wait to meet him. Uh, how are you guys doing, for real? Want to do anything fun this weekend? LSU, nice. You did, you had no, you didn't do anything for that. You know, you just watched that. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of hard. This is a sermon, not a city group, so I sh- shouldn't ask stuff like that. But I went camping. Um, camping sucks, man. It really does. Sydney and I are not campers. Camping is more like it's. I don't know. I think there's good that can come from it, um, but it didn't fill my cup or hers at all. Um, it's like going to the gym. It's like you go to suffer and then, I don't know. I have no idea why, why people go camping other than like cheap vacation. Um, but what sucks is like now I feel like more equipped. Like I feel like if we were to go camping this weekend, it would be so much better. Like we have momentum now in the ways of like knowing how to camp and doing it the right way. I mean, I'm not even going to get into detail, but it rained. You know, our tent wasn't waterproof. It our air mattress was seriously like so flat before we even started the night. Um, no Wi-Fi, which we just wanted to watch a movie, which I know you're not supposed to do that. It just sucked, man. I, I, I got home feeling like I cannot wait to sleep in my own bed and like do something else for the rest of the weekend. Um, but anyways, I wasn't even planning to talk about that. But for this morning, I want to get into like the text a little bit, but but first, I just want to ask a question of like, do you come in here this morning in particular, like with more of a full cup or a full plate? You know, like, do you come in here just like, oh, you're the cheery guy. Your cup's already full. You don't even need church, <laughs> you know? Or is it like, man, my plate is so full, and I don't even necessarily want to be here, but I know I need to be here sort of thing. Like, how do you even view, like, this, this Sunday morning thing that we're doing? Because we're going to look at a, a passage again like we do every Sunday, but this, this passage is a prayer. And uh, it's interesting because I think prayers are meant to be prayed more than preached, you know? So I found myself just trying to pray this prayer as much as possible this week for this room, and Paul's going to get to the end to say, man, I pray that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, and I think that's a, a fitting end to this prayer, but I, I often feel like, yeah, we're, that doesn't really describe me or my family or Embassy Church, really, it's just like, man, those people are just full to the fullness of God. Like, what does that even look like? What does that even mean? I, I want us to see that God really does desire for us, though, a full cup. Like, he wants to take our, our full plate that we often find ourselves responsible for finding ourselves in the mess of, and and just say, hey, give me that, and let me just give you a full cup. Christianity, at its essence, is about receiving things from God far and away more than it is doing things or performing for God, right? Like, the reason Paul's even praying is he knows, he's begging. God has to do something because we just remain hopeless human sinners unless he does something, right? So I want to look at this, this prayer more in, in detail in Ephesians 3, and we're just going to walk line by line through it, but really like why, why I think is even like making Paul pray this, this prayer is like he desires, uh, I, I wanna focus on like the, the idea of momentum. Like 
there's some truths that have changed everything for Paul, and his is a life of like purpose and action and, and like momentum, but he's, he's praying now that the, the Ephesian church would believe these truths in such a way that it would change their Christian life. Like they would have momentum. What does momentum look like in the Christian life? I just call Jesus my Lord and Savior, but nothing changes. You know, I don't feel like I have any momentum. I feel like full plate, empty. You know, I don't have that feeling of like a full cup. You know that feeling, right? Like, oh my gosh, everything is just great. You know, a full cup. That's what God wants to give us in this room in Christ. And that's what Paul's ultimately praying for. So, Verse by verse a little bit. For, for this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. For this reason. What, what reason is this? If you were with us last week, Paul started Ephesians 3.1 with the same phrase, right? For this reason. And it's almost like he's about to pray and then he stops and goes into some more detail on, on his ministry and this idea of what the church is. And he raises our view of like, man, the church is something beautiful and powerful and it declares the wisdom of God to the ends of the earth and even to the heavens, Right? But that doesn't describe us, you know, right? Like something beautiful and powerful and rich. Like that's God's vision for the church. But now Paul's gonna pray that like the Ephesian church would, would understand and grasp that glorious reality. But I don't think it's just the, the realities found in, in Ephesians 3. If you've been walking through Ephesians, like there's so many truths. Ephesians 1 through 3 is packed with truth. Truth is what we gotta let change us, you know? If we just go around believing lies all, all day long, we're just gonna look more like those lies rather than like the, the truths that God wants to reveal to us in the gospel and in, in the Bible. Truths like, I, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, like spiritually dead, flatlined. But God, again, there's, there's the primary worker in all of human history, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. And he's, he's not just made us our own individual beings, but this, this body, it's packed with truth, and then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is gonna be packed with practical application of this truth, but before we get there, it's like Paul's just like, I just need to get on my knees and beg God to drive these truths deeper. So as, as we walk through this, I, what the actual prayer is, I don't think Paul's really praying for, we'll see like three or four things that he mentions, but really it feels to me like he's praying for one thing, that that weight would be added to the glorious truths of the gospel unpacked in Ephesians 1 through 3. But before he moves on to any practices or pictures of the Christian life, he gets on his knees, begs God to strengthen, to help Christ dwell, to help understand the love of Christ and to just fill us up. And that's what I just want us to see this morning. Then we'll even have time at the end to just pray some of these things ourselves. We know as, as believers in this room, if you've put your faith in Christ, it's like there's this element of where Christ has made me new, right? I've been filled already, and yet I'm being filled. And so I think as we walk through this, this prayer, though, it's, it's so fitting to someone who finds themselves as a believer in Jesus and someone who doesn't. Like these things that he's gonna pray, super applicable to anyone in here. Like that I would be filled with the knowledge of God's love for me, that's great if you're a non-believer in here, that you would just start to know that for the very first time. But if you're a believer in here, it's, it's great that you would start to actually believe that more fully too. It's the same thing. This grace of God is, is what gets us in the door and changes us throughout our whole lives as believers. And you'll notice maybe if, you, if you've been with us again that this is Paul's second prayer in Ephesians. So I just want to point out the, the first prayer in chapter one, starting in verse 15. Paul's primarily praying for insight. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what these truths are. And here in, in chapter three, he goes a step further and like, I pray you would exp 
experience these truths. Like there's this weight again, not just clarity, but conviction. Anybody know the formula for momentum? People are like, I think I do, but I don't want to say it and be wrong. That's fine. Mass times velocity, you know, weight times speed. That's, that's what momentum is. And I think that belief in the momentum I'm talking about this morning is similar to that. Like, I don't just need to know the right truths about Jesus. There needs to be weight to them for me to actually experience transformation. Right? Belief is this combination of light, what's been revealed to me, and heat. Is it hot? Does it melt me? Truth and oomph. (laughs) This morning, Paul's praying for the oomph. The truths of the Ephesians, they're not light truths. They're not like paper or I don't know. I was trying to think of light things. And for some reason, the first thing I thought was one of those like sticky hands that you just swing around and they stick to things. Those things are light. You, you fling them. Kids fling them. These truths are meant to fling us around. These truths are heavy. Paul said, you've never held something in your hands as heavy as this truth. I almost tried to find like the biggest Bible I could just for like effect, but I was like, I can paint the picture with my words. They're heavy, they're not light. They're not just like pick and choose, take and leave it. It's like, no, take it and let it just take you deeper into the realities for the rest of your life. The gospel's not like this little thing that we were just digging around for and we found it like a pebble one day. No, it's like this thing that we ran smack into that knocked us, knocked us back. It just made us say, whoa, it's heavy. So Paul says, for this reason I kneel. He kneels because he knows that everything must come from him, right? Paul's so thankful for the grace of God that's been shown to him, but now he knows if it's gonna get to anybody else, God, you gotta show up again. And so he kneels and he asks God to do what only God can do. But let's look at this, this prayer, verse 16. It's, it's really, again, three or four things. If you look for the words that, it's kinda like another thing that he's praying for, that, you know, that, that, that. The first two, I think, are are kind of the same idea, but verse 16, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So there's this kind of double, double thing Paul's praying for, that we would be strengthened, and that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. I used to think it was kind of icky, you know, when people say, Jesus in my heart, you know? I'm like, is that really even true or biblical? Well, here it is. Paul's praying that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. There's this invisible inner strength Paul's praying for. If you want the verbs, verb number one is that we would be strengthened. They're all like the passive form of the verb. Like you cannot strengthen yourself, but man, if God strengthens you in your inner being, you got this sort of strength that you never had before. There was a a guy that I discipled one time named Ian Parker. He was a wrestler at Iowa State and... uh, yeah, he, he was a, a, God did so much. I mean, he, I got to see him get saved his freshman year at Iowa State, and then he was a leader inside a saw company. He was in my discipleship group, but every time wrestling season came around, it was like, I don't know if we're going to see him, right? I'll take what I can get with him, but, but you kind of worried about him, you know? So I was in one of these seasons of worrying about Ian, me and, me and the other discipleship group guys. We were worried about him, and he showed up one week to D group after being gone for like, oh, we probably hadn't seen him in like a month and a half, you know? He missed like five or six discipleship groups in a row it's like you're probably not doing too well spiritually but Ian shows up and I'm like it's like nothing ever happened you know and we're just like hey man good to see you and we notice like he's got a flip phone and it's like 
dude, what's with the flip phone, you weirdo? Um, this wasn't that long ago, so flip phones were already dead. And uh, he's like, oh yeah, like I got rid of my iPhone a while ago, it just was such a distraction, and I realized it wasn't doing anything to like really help me with my walk with Jesus, and you know, it's like, oh. Like you came to that conclusion on your own outside of my discipleship, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like all of our jaws just kind of dropped, and none of us in that moment were like, dude, Ian, you're so weak, right? No, we're like, dude, that's like some weird version of strength that like, I feel like none of the rest of us in here have even understood. Why, what, what am I getting at? What does it mean to be strengthened in Christ? A lot of times it means we admit and grapple with the very real weaknesses we have and will always have as finite human beings. And oftentimes it's the understanding of those weaknesses that leads room for God to actually like strengthen us. Sometimes it's the, the admission of guilt, the admission of, dang, I, I literally can't figure this out on my own. That brings us so close to the gospel and this understanding that if I get myself to that place repetitively, consistently, I make room for God to actually make me a different person, to give me his strength. It, it, Ian, without the realization of like, my phone is, is leading me to nothing good, he never makes the, the one singular like strong decision to just like change, you know, and do the one hard thing that makes everything else easier, but, it, but it, it's because he realized I'm weak. Apple is r- ruling my life, I'm not ruling Apple, you know? It's the same way, I think, there's something to when Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Like when I'm humble, I find the most inner strength I've ever found before because when I'm humble, I I get myself out of the way and I let Christ start to take over. That's strength. It's upside down. The way up is down, as some have said. Maybe the most likely thing to rob you of God's inner strength is this external strength we like to portray, you know, to the people around us. The human default, I think, is to walk around with a strong exterior. But what's that matter if you're hollow? God is so concerned with our hearts, it would be the sort of people that as you peel back the layers, it just gets more and more real, and more and more, there's something in there. It's Christ dwelling in our hearts. Admit your weakness is maybe the first step for you to actually understand what it means to be strengthened by God. He can do nothing with your self-dependence and no lack of need for him, right? But then I think the second applicable thing here in, in Paul's first part of his prayer, what's he say, what's he pray second? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This idea of dwell, it's like obviously Christ already lives with us. We're already in Christ, he's in us. This, this idea of union but to dwell is like a permanent residence. When, when Christ moves in, he, he, he changes everything. This is like the idea of, of like, you get a roommate, it's, it's not just like you live by yourself anymore, like a roommate moves in and if they're there for the long haul, they start to change stuff. You come to our house, it looks a certain way, not because I like the decorations that we have, it's because Sydney moved in with me and she likes those decorations. And I like, I don't know, I, my, we would be decorated with like, there would be like an anchor in the wall for like my bow and arrow, and I like my stuff. She likes my stuff to be hidden and our place to look nice. But I'm thankful for it, our house looks great. This is what, what Jesus does when we invite him to dwell. He doesn't just like not change anything. He doesn't just like get added to your little 
you know, collection of stuff, he's like, oh, let me start to do my work here. What does it look like for you this morning to make room for Christ to dwell in your life? Is your plate so full, there's no room? This is kind of like, I think in, in Luke, when Joseph and Mary, you know, Mary's as pregnant as Allison was three days ago. And it's like, hey, we need a place to sleep for the night. And the inn is like, sorry, it's full. That's <laughs> where they end up, a stable. There's always room in a, in a stable, right? Someone who's clearly not got their life figured out, it's dirty, it's messy. There's always room for Christ in that sort of life. It's the ends I'm worried about. The lives that look like they got it all put together, there's no room for Christ sometimes to make his home. What needs changed? It already looks beautiful. Everything needs changed <laughs> still if there's no inner reality and substance that is Jesus. This was my life. I remember thinking as I was getting saved, like, wow, the reason I didn't get saved earlier is because what did I need saved from? No room for Christ here. Move on down the road. I'm good. I hope that's not you this morning. I, I pray you'd become more like a stable. I pray God would make your life dirty and messy or just reveal the dirt and mess that's underneath that hard exterior and show you, hey, I got a way better, more beautiful thing I want to make you into than just this worldly pursuit that you're on. Make room for Christ. Momentum doesn't come from you being strong for God. It comes from you letting him be strong for you. An inner, invisible strength that's glorious. What's Paul's second part of his prayer? Verse 17, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, these are more invisible things, roots, the foundation of a building. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Okay, love is like the, the primary heartbeat of this Second part of, of Paul's prayer. The width and length, the height and depth of God's love that surpasses knowledge. Um, what Paul's implying here is there's a sort of love that you, you need to experience from Christ that's deeper than just knowledge alone. It surpasses knowledge. Like the fact that two plus two equals four is great. That's a great truth. It does nothing to warm my heart. You know, even like the fact that Sydney has brownish, hazelish eyes, like that's a cool fact. It doesn't do much for me to just know that. Right? The knowledge that those are that color cool, they, they could frankly be a different color. I would not care that much. What I care about is when she looks at me with them and I go, oh. That's, the shivers are in her looking, at the experience of those eyes. It's not just the fact of the color. There's a sort of thing that surpasses knowledge in life, and it, it is love. Love is such a foundational Christian virtue. The fact that God is love. What does it look like for me to experience love if I've never experienced it in a worldly sense? You don't, you don't need to experience primarily in a worldly sense. You need to experience it from God himself, who loves you more than anything in this world ever could. That will surpass knowledge. The, the width of it, right, that anyone can have it. Anyone, it's wider than wide, and it has the power to separate you from your sins as far as that too. Thanks for listening. 
To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.